LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. Everything on the outside was up and to the right, and on the inside, I was down on to, and to the left. And, and that spawned burnout in me, and I did not see it coming. I didn't think it could happen to me. And of course, the rules never apply to you until they do. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vernoy. Here as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. And Josh, we have the king of podcasting with us today, do we not? It's the king the of king. podcasts. We have Carrie Newhoff with us today. Carrie is a former lawyer and founding pastor of Connexus Church. He's the author of several best-selling books, including his latest, Didn't See It Coming. Um, he talks through ways to overcome the seven greatest challenges that no one expects, but everyone experiences. He also hosts the top-rated Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, which is Amazing, amazing. By the way, it is amazing. No, it's top rated because I do all my own ratings. Yes, right? <laughs> I would that's too. That's a secret, guys. But so he, you gotta get into your podcast and just stuff a whole bunch of ratings in, and then you can say that. So that's what we should do. Okay, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk. We'll talk after this for all pro the secrets. Tip, pro tip. Now, Man, people Carrie, have been very generous. Carrie gets to interview so many great leaders. His podcasts and blogs are accessed by millions, maybe even billions now. I don't maybe. know. And the span of we've been talking <laughs> to billions, billions yes. of people. But Carrie, how are you? So good to have you on today, man. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. It's good to be with you guys. Chandler, good to hang out again. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on with you. And I love the work that you guys and the whole team at Lifeway are doing. Thank you. Thanks, Carrie. We're honored to have you on as well. Carrie, tell me, tell me about your deep, deep love for the green egg. Oh, it's endless. <laughs> I mean, you guys came up and filmed me in my backyard. Yes, we did. For the Lifeway Leadership event last fall. Uh, it, it, you know, I, honestly, there's, there's always a, a backstory. And it came out of the fact that I really didn't have any hobbies. And before I burned out, burnout is sort of a pivotal event in my life and mm-hmm. ministry. That was 2006. I was just work, work, work all the time. And people said, you need a hobby. I'm like, ah, hobbies are for sissies. <laughs> and of course, then you burn out and you're like, well, guess I'm a sissy. What's my hobby going <laughs> to yeah, be? Yeah. And uh, so I picked a few and barbecue was at the heart of it, but I backed into it by accident. What happened was, if you want to go way back to like probably 2007, is you know how you kind of have a budget? It's like, this is the year we're going to replace the car. This is the year we're going to decorate the guest room, whatever it is. And uh, it wasn't a year to replace a barbecue. And my gas grill died prematurely. Hmm. And so, you know, I want a barbecue. Perhaps can we say that I wanted a barbecue more than maybe my lovely wife wanted a barbecue? Can we just say that? (laughs) Yeah, public consumption. I'm sure nobody else has ever had that kind of debate. And she's like, we can wait a year. And I'm like, that's heresy. You can't, you (laughs) can't wait a year for a barbecue. So I had a very tight budget and cause it wasn't in the budget. So I went to the local barbecue slash appliance store and you know, everything's like 500 bucks, 700 bucks I want to buy. And I'm like, yeah, that's not in the budget. And there's this little Weber kettle grill that is, is there, you know, the, the round ones. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, all of a sudden I'm back in my childhood. My dad's barbecuing steaks in the backyard in my mind. I'm like, my dad had one of those. How much is that? They're like 140 bucks. I'm like, that's in the budget. I can afford that. (laughs) So So it was the only charcoal grill. It was pre-trend. It was the only charcoal grill in the whole store. So I bought it, took it home. I'm the hero. 
because I was way under budget because there was no budget, but anyway, <laughs> and you know, I barbecued with charcoal for the first time in, since I was a kid. And then, you know, one kettle grill led to another, led to my wife buying me a big green egg a few years ago. Oh, so, so was, it, just, was it a gift? I love it. Yeah, it was a gift. It was that a gift awesome. for my 50th birthday. So, and I run into young leaders all the time. They're like, I want a big green egg so bad. I'm trying to talk my wife into it. And I'm like, I had to wait till I was 50. Yeah. So encourage there's, you. there's a leadership Great lesson. Great lesson in leadership right yeah. there. Well, I love, I love watching your stories. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee originally. And so barbecue yeah. is, is the thing there. And uh, I love watching the stories and honestly, just stay jealous of you all the time. Well, I'm, it's an amateur effort. I've got good friends coming over tomorrow. And so we got some uh, filet mignon I'm going to do, Ooh. which will be good. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm learning all the time, but it keeps me out of trouble. And it's a hobby. Leaders, you need to have a hobby. That's great. I, I actually have gotten to eat some of Carrie's big green egg. You would. Um, you well, would I think it was, I think you. Yes, sir, Chandler. I we did tenderloin. Beef tenderloin. And my goodness, it was phenomenal. So. It made me, I, that I had that conversation. Day. I was like, hey, we could maybe get a big green egg. And I was like, nope, probably need to hold off till 50 yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got a long, those are many, many decades, Chandler. I'm so yep. sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, Carrie, we're so excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, thanks for Great taking deal. the time out of your day to join us. We're going to go ahead and hop right in here. Um, we know that today you are helping leaders all over the world grow in their leadership through your writing, your speaking, and your podcast. But- I know through conversations with you, there is so much that led up to all of this. So would you mind walking through for us a quick overview of the different leadership roles that you've been in over the years and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, you bet. I think, you know, a lot of people saw a leadership gift in me, even as a kid, I, I was, uh, you know, I was on the debate team and, you know, there was a TV show in Canada called reach for the top. It was like a trivia show. You guys didn't have that in the U.S., did you? I don't think so. No, I don't think we did. No, no, correct. Right. <laughs> it's like a, anyway, uh, yeah. So anyway, I, I did that kind of stuff in high school. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I walked into a radio station, asked for a job. They hired me. I kind of hijacked the show and changed the format, and it did really well. And then I went to law school. Law school is full of people who think they're leaders or want to be leaders and did that and then worked in law for a year in downtown Toronto. So all that was kind of prep for ministry. But then the only role I've ever really held until very recently when I became founding pastor in the church is lead pastor. Because when you go to really small churches, which I did <clears throat> when I started out, there's no other roles. So I've always been in that sort of leadership seat. And that's sort of my background resume to, to where I am today. But I've always been interested, like even in the early years when our churches were still small, they were growing, but small, like, you know, 40 people to 100 people to 200 people. Growth was pretty rare in our country and in our denomination. And so I started getting questions almost immediately. And, you know, the earliest version, the beta beta version of what I'm doing now was I would head out after dinner to some church an hour away that invited me to come and talk to their elders. I'd go into a church basement sort of explain why I thought we were growing, what the changes that we'd made, how we'd transformed things. And then usually this is how it went. They would tell me why it wouldn't work, why I was wrong. And then they would give me, if anything, a $25 like gift card to take my wife out for lunch. Hmm. And then I'd drive home. And that was like the beginning of my great consulting ministry and speaking career. <laughs> so that's awesome. I that's know how it started. I know yeah. you shared it, some of our pipeline events before. I know 
you were the founding pastor of Conexus, but you were at churches before that. How many was that again? Yeah, there were three little churches. I see it as one continuum. Like I'm at my house right now while we're recording this and all three churches are within a 10 minute drive of my house and the three Conexus campuses are within a 30 minute drive of my home. So, um, it's all, it's all, and some of them are the same people. Um, so I, I see it as one continual story, but what happened was we were part of a mainline denomination. Uh, three little churches started to grow and I did the circuit on Sunday morning. We amalgamated them, moved to an elementary school, then built a, uh, a new multimillion dollar facility, moved into that. And we grew from a handful of people to about 800 in that first decade. And then I thought, well, what if we started over in a non-denominational context? It was a bit more complex than that, but that was the heart of the thinking. Mm -hmm. And by that point, we had met North Point and Andy Stanley and Reggie Joyner, and they invited us to join a strategic partnership. So in 2007, we rebooted. We actually tried to buy the building from the denomination that uh, even though we had paid for it, it's anybody in a denomination will go, yes, that's exactly what happens. You pay for the (laughs) building once and then you have to pay for it again. But they didn't want our money. And so that meant they kind of forced my hand. And so we started over again and we went a little bit north, a little bit south, started Conexus Church, a North Point strategic partner that was in 07. And, you know, here we are today. And then four years ago in 2015, I stepped out. I got a big green egg and went into retirement. (laughs) Coincidental, not causal. I, uh, I thought succession is a big crisis in a lot of churches. We were in a super healthy place. I felt like I had served for 20 years with all of my heart and handed things over to my successor, Jeff Brody, who's doing a great job at Conexus now. And my role for the last three and a half years is to be the founding and teaching pastor. So founding means I don't actually do anything anymore. And (laughs) teaching means I carry some of the teaching load at Conexus. Founding means use the green egg. So correct, correct. Click on the it means green I used to be important. I do, yes. I do a little bit of mentoring and coaching. And, you know, this morning I was in the office, we had some of our, we have campuses and partnerships. Uh, I spent the morning coaching some of our, our uh, partnerships and I'm a little bit involved with creative, but not, not much. Cool. Well, that's good. I didn't, I didn't realize that. That's a, that's a cool update. Have you enjoyed doing that the past three and a half years? I've loved it, man. I'll tell you, it's great. You know, part of the, part of the joy, I'd say at the heart of the joy is knowing that the church is firmly in strong hands for the next generation. That is such a crisis in the church, the wider church. And I think we're going to hear more and more about it. Mm -hmm. Jeff's doing a great job. And then I got to keep my favorite part of the job, which is teaching. And then it also gave me more freedom to pour a little bit harder into the podcast, books, writing, speaking, and building up leaders, which I, I have actually processed as a call from God on my life that that for the next few decades appears to be my assignment. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very, very excited, very passionate about that and treat it as a calling. Well, uh, speaking of books, I read your book and didn't see it coming at the beginning of the year. And, and man, it was, it was very, very good. I really enjoyed it. It ministered to me a well, lot thank you. and I'm 29 years old and I already relating to some of these things that you're talking about in the book. So really grateful to see th- able to see some of that stuff coming. But uh, in the book, you share about seven core issues that take people out in their journey of leadership or ministry or or, or whatever it is in life, really. One of those in particular is burnout. And I know that is a big, big part of your story. Can you share a little bit about that and your own story with burnout and how young leaders can prepare to actually see it coming? 
You know, it's interesting. I know this is going to air soon is just recently, like within weeks of recording this podcast, uh, burnout was for the first time recognized as a medical diagnosis. It was on CNN, USA Today. And for the first time, you can go to your doctor and he can say, well, you got burnout. Now, (laughs) I don't think a pill is going to solve your burnout. So it didn't solve mine. I didn't take any pills for my burnout. But, uh, you know, it's interesting that this appears to be an epidemic. I'm doing some more research on burnout now for my next book. 70% of millennials, so think about this for a minute, 70% of leaders under the age of 40 say that they experience symptoms of burnout. I was doing a talk at a big conference in Dallas. We pulled the audience live and, you know, it was funny. It was the conference sponsor's idea. They said, you know, why don't we do this live poll of the audience? I'm like, sure, I'm up for it. So the question was, you know, have you experienced symptoms of burnout? And then it was like, never, occasionally, frequently, all the mm-hmm. time, 93% oh my of that ministry audience. Oh yeah. I cried oh. when that live poll came up. I'm like, I couldn't talk. 93% said they were at some level dealing with burnout. Like, wow. Wow. Like it's just crazy. And so it hit me and this is why I got a few hobbies. It hit me <laughs> around my 40th birthday. I have been in deck in ministry for a decade And that first decade was basically pedal to the metal. It was just working as hard as I could. Uh, I was not a particularly smart leader. So more people equaled more hours for me. And I had a bunch of other stuff going on too. You know, we were married for 14, 15 years. Uh, I brought some baggage into the marriage. So had my wife. So things weren't going great at home. We were in conflict and I, I wasn't the most, to use Pete Scazzaro's language, the most emotionally healthy leader mm-hmm. around. And I was in counseling trying to get some help, but you know, things on the outside were great. And 35 year old Carrie is like, well, if things on the outside are great, it doesn't matter what things on the inside are like. And of course that's a time bomb. And ironically, I, and hence the title of the book, I did not see it coming. If you had talked to me the month before I would say I fell into burnout and ask me, Hey, are you ever going to burn out? I'd be like, nah, never. Things are going great. And I gave a keynote talk at North Point for the first time, which apparently went really well, according to everyone there. And when I got back to Toronto, it's like I fell off a cliff. And our church was the biggest it had ever been, the strongest it had ever been. Everything on the outside was up and to the right. And on the inside, I was down on to to the left. Mm. And, And that spawned burnout in me. And I did not see it coming. I didn't think it could happen to me. And of course, the rules never apply to you until they do. And so looking back on it, I could see that I had really grown cynical in my first decade of ministry. I had burned the candle at both ends. I just kept thinking every problem that showed up was an exception to the rule, not a rule. I had neglected my physical and emotional health and all that stuff cumulatively adds up. And at 40, all of a sudden, I'm a pretty passionate person. I am now again. I've rekindled my optimism and my passion. But back then, you know, my passion had just died. It just, it just Mm. went flat. My heart didn't work right anymore. Uh, Rest and time off didn't refuel me. Uh, If I wasn't resting, I was crying and the rest was not restorative. And I was just a mess. It was a, it was a train wreck of a summer. And I thought it was over. I just thought, wow, I broke myself and I do not know how to get well. And that's what burnout was like for me that Mm. that summer of 2006. Man, thanks for sharing that. So 
talk to our audience for a second. We could probably work our way backwards in some of the stuff that you said about being emotionally healthy, taking care of yourself physically. But man, how does a young leader avoid that? How, how do we? How do I identify it and fight against it and and not be burnt out as a young leader? So the best answer I have on that is to, and, and this is like a single sentence that I could spend a day unpacking. Sure. In fact, it'll be the heart of my next book, but sounds pithy, but it has guided me for the last 14 years. And to me, it has become life. And it's simply this, to live in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow. So if you're like, mm -hmm. how do I avoid burnout? Because that's a question, right? I had a good friend of ours, actually another Nashvilleian, uh, John Acuff. He asked me once backstage, we were speaking at the same event. He said, so is this just like a rite of passage? Does everybody have to burn out? And mm -hmm. then like on the other side, you have a great story to tell. Can I have a great story without burning out? Mm -hmm. I'm like, John, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah. And I think the answer is yes. You know, that isn't my story, but I think the answer is yes. And the key to that, what's kept me out of the burnout ditch for the last 13 years, and I've been teaching this to leaders over the last four or five years now, after I gave it a decade to see if it actually worked, um, is, is you learn to live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. And I would break that down into five component parts uh, spiritually. You've got to really pay attention. You want to build up margin in each of these five areas. So spiritually, pay attention to the state of your relationship with God, to how things are going vertically, your prayer life, um, your reading of God's word, that, that stuff actually does matter. And so spiritually, how are you doing? Emotionally, how are you doing? And the way emotions manifest themselves in, a, in an unhealthy way, I think are primarily two ways and they can happen at the same time. Um, one of the ways it manifested in my life and I think a lot of leaders' life is you kind of go numb. You just don't feel anything anymore. Mm. And I, I had gone numb by the time I hit 40. And I just, you know, nothing phased me anymore. It's like, yeah, whatever. So-and-so died. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, whatever. But inside, I feel nothing. Mm. Hey, did you hear so-and-so had their baby? You know what you should be really happy about? Mm. Didn't feel anything. Yeah. And, and at the same time, little things would set me off. Somebody wouldn't empty the dishwasher. I'd fly off the handle. You know, someone scratches my car. I have a nuclear meltdown <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, 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 that's a two out of 10. Like, why are you reacting at a 12 out of 10? So it's disproportionate emotions or no emotions. Uh, that's a sign of emotional ill health. Uh, I'll run us quickly through the other three categories, a uh, relational health. It's really hard in ministry because it's hard to build friendships. It's just really difficult to build friendships, but you need friends. You can't always be in a giving place. So you got to pay attention to that. Like we're getting together with really good friends tomorrow night. We were chatting with good friends last night. Like you need those friends and leadership people who, who you spend time with and you lose track of time or with whom you, you laugh so hard you cry those kinds of friendships, yeah. which are really hard to find in ministry. So you need to develop those friendships. And then the other tanks would be financial. And I know, you know, we're talking to ministry leaders, so <laughs> you're not in it for the money. I get it. <laughs> uh, but I think we also know that there are people who live on $30,000 a year and have margin 
and people who live on $300,000 a year and blow it all. Mm. And so you've just got to have a little bit of financial margin in your life because financial stress is stress still is. And then uh, finally, physically, like, how are you caring for yourself? And I didn't, I, I thought you could just ignore your body or use your body. I didn't get enough rest, not enough exercise. I wasn't paying enough attention to diet. And so all those things combined and landed me firmly in the ditch uh, in 2006. Man, well, thank you for being vulnerable. I, it's no doubt that there are a lot of people listening to this podcast right now going through a lot of those same things. And I'm even going through your checklist saying, okay, hold on. I think I need to, <laughs> I think I need to focus on that one a little bit more than this other one. So it's really good. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. And, and you know what, that is, that is for anybody who's half driven. And I, I, I want to work on this more for my next book, but I think, I think you can get to burnout even with, without being driven, but come on, your listeners are listening to a new podcast. They're, <laughs> they're doing it while they're on their run and they're like, never going to happen to me. I think driven leaders are especially susceptible to it. And unless you have a, a sustainable lifestyle and, and, you know, ironically, this is the thing that terrified me before I burned out, I thought, well, cause everyone talked about balance. You need more balance in your life. Well, I've come to believe balance is a myth and I, I really rejected balance as a goal. And what I chose instead was passion that I'm going to put limits on what I do, but whatever I choose to do, whether that's a date night with my wife or dinner with friends, or I'm writing a book or I'm doing an interview with you guys, I want to be fully there. And that means I'm going to have to exclude 98% of the opportunities that come my way. But those few things I choose, I want to be fully present and I want to be fully engaged and fully alive. And I don't always get that right, but you know, you get close. And then um, when you do that, I, I think you start to thrive. I think that is really a, a great recipe for like just choosing to do it. And now that I've found not more balance, but a much better understanding of what I'm capable of and not capable of. It's so funny because I'm running now in a way where I'm trying to live today in a way that'll help me thrive tomorrow. But I'm like three to 10 times more productive than I was when I burned out. I'm working fewer hours. Mm. I'm way less stressed and I'm much more productive and producing far more work. It's like, it's, it's inversely proportional. It's strange. No, that's, that's such a helpful uh, line to keep with us just to be even be thinking through every single day. And that, that 93% stat has really stuck that's out to me that, crazy. that you just pulled live. So I know oh, yeah. that I'm sure if, if there was a way to pull those listening, that many would be dealing with that as well. So I know that you're speaking right at, um, everybody who's listening as well. Yeah. And for women who are listening, this is really interesting. Again, something I want to drill down more on in the next year as I get my ready for my next book, which will be on burnout and really more the things that lead into burnout than burnout itself. Um, but Annie Downs, who I interviewed for my podcast and she had me, was kind enough to have me on her podcast. She and I got into a really interesting discussion and she said like, okay, I think men and women burn out differently. I'm like, tell me more. I'm always interested in learning, right? And she said, well, think about it. I don't know any woman who like announced publicly that they burned out, took a six month sabbatical and then came back trying to get healthy. And I'm like, you know what, Annie, neither, neither do I. Yeah. And she said, that's because I don't think women give themselves permission to burn out. They're not going to take six months off from their children if they're moms mm. or their career. And she said, they just kind of suffer more in silence. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that, that is the tip of a very large iceberg and never really thought of it. So for the women who are listening, it's interesting, you know, I've got symptoms laid out in didn't see it coming. You can probably find some online diagnosis tools too, but you know, just, just because you're not announcing that you're taking a sabbatical doesn't mean you're immune from this. That's very helpful. Well, Carrie, we're going to move on to the, to the next question. And this one is going back to yourself as a young leader again, what was your biggest misconception stepping into leadership? Yeah, the competency mattered more than it did. Oh, that's so good. I overestimated the role of competency and underestimated character. Um, You know, I'm pretty driven. I went to law school. I have three university degrees, you know, and again, a lot of your listeners are very driven, whether it's formal education or not. They're listening to a podcast. They're reading books. They they want to be on top of things. And. I really over, like, I, I believe in competent people. I would rather have staff members and team members with skill sets than people with no skill sets. But <laughs> that is not how you win the game. Um, your character, your character is the long play. And I realized, you know, particularly when I look back on my 30s, I was short. I mean, I wasn't as self aware. And I really believe with John, what John Calvin said, that knowledge, without knowledge of self, there's no knowledge of God. And without knowledge of God, there's no knowledge of self. But I really just ended up in a place where I was so focused on competence, I kind of ignored character. And in my case, it didn't lead to, you know, an affair or stealing money or anything that would get you immediately disqualified from ministry. But it did mean... I was a bit of a jerk of a husband. I was not always the most attentive father that I could be tough on people while being, you know, obsessed with results. And so over the last decade plus, I've really refocused that. And I think, you know, there's some people who would have seen that side of me and others who wouldn't have, but I don't want anyone to see that side and I don't want there to be that side. And so I'm committing the next, you know, last decade and the next 30, 40 years of my life, God willing, to trying to live in a way where the people closest to me are the people who are most grateful for me. Not because I want them to be grateful for me, but because I don't want to have such a negative impact on people. And I I want the love of Christ to actually flow through me to the people that I work the closest with. That is such a helpful distinction because there's oftentimes when looking from afar, you can say, man, that leader, that man or woman from stage is leading so, so well, looks like such a godly person, but from afar, it's hard to really tell. And it's really those who are in your inner circle, almost that you should judge, be asking those questions. Hey, is my character out outpacing my competency? Um, And then I think also there was a, uh, I think when you were on the five leadership questions podcast, you, you all said this line, you could be winning in ministry, but losing at home. And if you're losing yeah. at home, then you're losing at you're all. You're losing. Mm-hmm. You're losing. Yeah. If you lose at home, you're losing period. And I really believe that. And it's not perfect at home. I mean, put a couple of people in a few thousand square feet, you're going to get fireworks from time to time, but it is so yeah. much better yeah. 
than it used to be. And, you know, that's a problem. I think social media has exacerbated that to a certain extent. We all have, you know, followers or fans and you don't even, you know, everybody's got a couple hundred people who follow them. And you got some guy in California or Alaska who thinks you're amazing. <laughs> and you're like, oh, there, see, but your wife hates you. No, you're, you're losing. I, and, and I, I want to care less what the people I don't know think about me. And I want to care more about my impact on the people I actually know. And you know what, if you take care of the people who are closest to you and you take care of the things that happen behind closed doors and with the people who are in your immediate orbit, then the stuff on the periphery is going to take care of itself. But if you neglect that and you pursue the periphery, that's where you get all kinds of problems. And, and that doesn't, I don't think God, you know, I don't want to be one of those like moralistic judgmental people, but I don't think that really impresses God. I don't think God is very impressed when, you know, people who don't know us think we're awesome and the people who, who are closest <laughs> to us think we're awful. I, I think God, that, that grieves God's heart. Going back to what you said, the team that I lead, we say this all the time, we have to hire about 160 college staff to work during the summer. And we, we, we have a summer camp organization. And when we're training them, we really hone in. We have the same statement. Guys, we know you're here. We know you have competencies. Like, we know you can do your job. We want to focus in on your character because when you focus in on your character, the competency will come. That 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 will come 100%. if you're focused on your character. But if you're focused on your competency, you're going to be blinded by it and then lose sight of the character. And that's the fruit of the spirit. That's what God's trying to do in your life. He's trying to hold a mirror in front of your face and show you your character before your competencies. So, man, super passionate about that. I'm glad you said that. I would stand up and walk around the room, but all the chairs are squeaking when making on the podcast. <laughs> we're in a very small room. Yeah, we're in a really small room. Carrie, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? Hmm. You know, probably my favorite book, and it's one nobody ever talks about. Uh, actually, you know what I had? It wasn't written when I started to lead. I'm going to change my answer. Uh, probably... Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Church. I know he came out later with the Emotionally Healthy Reader, but I went, or Leader, when I read the Emotionally Healthy Church, when it first came out, it hit me between the eyes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, I'm not nearly as healthy as I thought I was. So I wish that one had been around. Uh, and then the other one, the one I was going to mention, it, it's, it's a Henry Nouwen book and it's not famous at all. It's, you know, still in print, but nobody ever reads it. And uh, it's near the top of my list. It's called the Genesee diary. Mm-hmm. And it was the very beginning of Henry Nouwen's journey, 20 year journey for which he became very famous of trying to become more and more like Jesus. And he is a relatively successful academic on the climb in New York city. And he goes away to a Trappist monastery in upstate New York in 1974 to try to find himself because he senses he's losing his soul. And all it is, it's his diary. And it's the beginning of that awakening. It's the beginning of the Henry Nouwen that we would all know. And I just love that book. I've reread it numerous times and it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive, but I feel like it's a little bit autobiographical and I really enjoy that book. You mentioned the emotionally healthy leader. I'm I'm actually reading through that right now uh, with a, with a group, and it is so enlightening. I think one of the biggest takeaways I had was the facing your shadow. 
um, mm. and just really dealing with what's be- below the surface, which <laughs> I was flipping through it and I saw a picture of an, an iceberg, which is the logo of the podcast. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a great, there we go. That's a great logo right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great one. That's and you know, you Pete, it from, it's Chandler. a similar journey. Yeah. Everything was going up into the right, but on the inside he was crumbling and his wife, Jerry is just like, you're a jerk. Right. <laughs> and mm. I think I'm, that's almost a quote. Uh, he was on my <laughs> podcast and they tell that story very publicly. And I think that is a very common path in leadership where nobody, your kids don't care how successful you are. I've done a lot of funerals, probably hundreds of funerals over the years. I've never seen a kid show up with his dad's resume. Nobody's Mm. impressed with you. What they care about is, did you love me? Yep. Did you have time for me? Did, did you linger? Did you listen? Do you care? You know, nobody cares how many downloads my pod, my kids don't care. I mean, they're happy for me, but they don't care how many, you know, I don't call my kids. It's like, woo, another hundred thousand downloads this week. They don't care. They don't care. Mm. It's good to be reminded of. And neither does your staff. Yeah, man, that's- uh, neither does your wife. Sorry guys. Now, obviously (laughs) they care. Obviously they're, they're excited for you, but the reason they're excited for you is not because of your success. The reason that you get excited for people who are close to you is because you want to know, do they love me? Do they care for me? Am I a good person to be around? And from a Christian perspective, am I reflecting Christ That's good. to the people who are close to me? Or am I reflecting some other spirit that isn't the Holy Spirit? You know, Galatians 5 has a list. And too often in the church, you know, right above the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control are the fruits of the other spirit. Mm-hmm. Division, faction, jealousy, envy, bike, bat, backbiting, um, discord. And I mean, way too often in Christian leadership, our lives look more like the fruits of the other spirit, not the fruits of the Holy Spirit. When that mm-hmm. happens, that's a problem. That's so good. We, I have one-on-ones with people on my team every month throughout the year. And I always feel like they're about 45 minutes long. It's not that big of a deal. There's like 12 people on the team. It takes a little bit of time, but I always feel like at the end of their time with my team, one of the things they'll say the most is not any great idea that I might've had or led the team through something inspirational. It was, I just like that we got to talk once a month about things Hmm. and rarely, and rarely is it ever about work too. That's the funny thing about it. It's almost all about what's going on at home. Here's how my personal life's doing. Here's how my walk with the Lord is. And I'm like, Hey, we're at work. We can talk about work. We can also talk about you if you want to. That's, that's totally fine as well. So people really do care about how much you care for them, not what they're doing or what you're doing. Well, that's what John Maxwell said, right? People don't know how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that's so true. I learned this from my friend, Jeff Henderson from Gwinnett Church. And years ago, I started adopting this. I, in my one-on-ones, I usually, the first half, sometimes the entire meeting is just a personal check-in because I want them to know that I care. I actually do care. I want to know how they're doing. And we just talk. And you know what? If people, you bring your whole self to work. And if people, if you have healthy staff and healthy team members or even a place for them to process, they're going to throw their heart into it and bring their best day after day after day. The competency does take care of itself if you really have self-driven people who you are caring for emotionally and spiritually and holistically. Great word. Well, hey, looking back, what are some of the qualities you wish you had as a young leader? Mm. Uh, More grace, more patience, more empathy. And I wish I was a better listener. Mm. 
break down the listening part. Do you, did you feel like what were you prone to do? Obviously talk a lot, but why do you think you struggled with listening when you were a younger <laughs> yeah. leader? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Talk a lot. I'm a communicator, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> that, I, I don't know. I just, I don't think I had the self-awareness in my twenties or thirties to really be a good listener or as, as good a listener as I needed to be. I wasn't terrible, but you know, I would fill in all the spaces and um, probably out of insecurity, try to show that I knew what I was talking about. Mm. And, and I've, I've found over time that if you listen longer than most people listen, you will hear things most people never hear. And most people are longing just to be heard. And we live in a world where no one's listening and everybody's talking. In fact, we live in a world where everyone's yelling in all caps. <laughs> and so I think, I think there's a humility in listening. I think you learn a lot when you listen. And so I'm trying to get better at it. I'm trying not to fill the spaces, you know, those silent spaces with words, even in my interviewing, you guys are doing a great job, but like, you're not interjecting all the time. I'm trying not to upstage the guest, but to really listen. And even when I'm with my team, I mean, it's easy. I'm a visionary. I got ideas. I got my ideas have ideas, you know, it's like, bah, 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 bah. it's so easy just to spray a shotgun of ideas out at people and say, now go do it. But that doesn't really honor people. So I'm trying to, trying to tap into the intelligence of the team, trying to tap into the heart of the team, trying to, to be as good a student as I am a teacher. Oh, sorry. Awkward pause. I was just listening, Carrie. You were listening. <laughs> that, hey, that's well played. That's hey, really I tried. Cool I had good. to get Chandler's attention and go, hold on, just wait for it. I know this is bad, but we just got <laughs> to, it'll good be job. funny. The joke will be worth it. Hey, there's a lot of young leaders listening right now who look up to you and others that have a platform and they say, yeah. I would love to be where that you are one day and impacting thousands and thousands of people. What would you say though, Carrie, to someone aspiring to build a platform for themselves? Mm, yeah, it's a great question. And it's a fairly new question. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I used to sit at the global leadership summit when I was in my thirties and think, Hey, maybe one day I'll be up there and I haven't spoken there yet, but you know, uh, so I guess those <laughs> are, those are, those are pretty human thoughts, right? We all want to be King one day. Um, it's never been easier to, to get distracted in trying to build a platform, but most of the people I know, and this is the, like, if you knew the honest backstory to my story, this was not part of a grand plan. I, this was a hobby and a passion point, like helping leaders. It really did start with driving an hour, two hours, meeting with people who told you you were wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, you pay for the gas yourself. Maybe you get a gift card out of it. That's it. And I did, I did dozens of those events long before anyone invited me to speak at a conference. And then you start with the breakout at the, you know, D level circuit. And, uh, I still remember the first time I had an opportunity to do a main stage. And so it's been, you know, and even my blogging, that was just, that was another attempt at a hobby, which is no longer a hobby. It's kind of what I do. And podcasting, I was just having all kinds of great conversations and I'm like, wow, wouldn't it be fun to, to actually bring some of those conversations into light. And five years ago, it was fairly new. And, you know, I never dreamed my craziest ambitious dream was a million downloads. And now we're closing in on 10 million. It's like, how did that happen? I don't know. I'm not that smart. I didn't like, it's, it's not part of a grand engineered plan. And as much as you can, you can have, I'll probably do a resource at some point on 
how to use your influence online. Cause I have a lot of thoughts about that, but there's no zero to 60 formula that I think is guaranteed and it's fraught with dangers. You know, in, to some extent I'm in my fifties, I'm thankful this didn't happen when I was in my twenties because I don't think I would have had the character to sustain this many eyeballs on me. Not that I was hiding anything, but just, you know, that that's a lot of pressure. And so I'm grateful that it didn't happen younger. And I don't know that it's something you can really desire or want. Uh, I'm in a conversation right now with someone and, you know, it's an opportunity as all opportunities are. And I was talking with my wife about it the other day and I said, yeah, I don't know whether I want to be any more well-known than I am right now. Like, (laughs) and that sounds really stupid in our, in our, in our age that we're in, but like there's, there's a certain thing, be careful what you ask for. And so you would have to make sure that your character is bigger than your platform. As one of you said earlier, you would have to make sure that your, your, the growth of your character is outpacing the growth of your platform. And I mean, we've had just some explosive growth on the platforms that I'm responsible for. And, and I'm not claiming my character is bigger than that, but all I know is, man, you better work on your character. There's yeah. a lot of people listening. Yeah. And so I think you know, the people, the people who, and most of the people who have really, like you talk to mega church pastors, you talk to people who have, you know, much bigger platforms than I do. Most of them didn't set out to build a platform. Most of them set out to help people. And in the process, a platform got built. And I think that is the right sequence. So am I interested in reaching more people? Of course I am. But you know, I don't have a plan to get to a hundred million eyeballs. I don't know. I mean, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. Maybe this is it. Maybe it's all downhill tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> what I know is I'm, I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. I love the interaction I get to do with people and with leaders. I believe that this is God's call on my life for this season and I want to fulfill it faithfully. So that's, that's, I think the headspace or at least the ballpark you want to be in around that conversation. I think the best sentence that you said there was, seek to be helpful. Don't seek to build a platform. Yep. And yeah. no matter if that platform is big or small, seek to be helpful wherever God's placed you. That is the filter. Like with this, this can go back, you know, I really started blogging in 2012 and I thought, what is, what is going to, what is really going to work on a blog? Like I didn't really know I'd blogged a little bit in previous years, but I just adopted quickly for whatever reason, the helpful filter, like is it's free. You can, you don't have to pay to read my blog, but you did pay, you paid with your time. And I thought, okay, if I'm reading this stuff that this guy is putting out, um, what is my value proposition? And the proposition in my mind is, was this worth my time? And how do I value whether something is worth my time? I asked the question, was this helpful? So still every post, Every podcast, every book, is this going to be helpful? Now, do I think you can help all the people all the time? No, but hopefully it's been helpful to somebody that, you know, a leader who is in a similar position to what I am in or have been in would say, oh, wow, that was really useful. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for the heads up. That's, that's what I think is a really good filter. Um, And it's helped us a lot in, in what I do. Thanks for sharing that. Well, now we're going to move to the quick hitters here. These are going to be the short one minute answers. So we'll start out with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, exercise, go to bed, all that good stuff? 
Yeah. So I usually get up between 4.45 and 5.15 most days, depending on the day. Uh, I spend the first hour, if it's summer, outside on the back deck, uh, reading my Bible, praying. Uh, these days I picked up journaling again. I've never been particularly good at it over the years, but I'll journal a little bit. I'm doing some gratitude journaling and just some... Um, yeah, some journaling. So that's sort of the first hour. Then I will turn to something creative, either working on a post or a book or a sermon or something like that and grab some breakfast to shower and then come back at writing sort of phase two. And I'll usually try, I try to book no meetings until at least 11 a.m., if not noon. And then I try to have two clear days a week where I have no meetings, period. I mean, I, I could fill up that my entire great. life and all of my sleeping hours with meetings. There's no endless <laughs> amount of opportunity, but I really, I have to cultivate, you know, what I get paid to do these days and what I feel called to do is I need to write with my heart and with my mind and a fully engaged mind is not a distracted mind. So I need to have focus. And then, you know, leading my team, I have a few meetings. My wife and I are empty nesters. We love it. We usually cook from scratch when we're home. And so we'll, I'll usually try to sign off by, by three 30 to five o'clock somewhere in that window. And uh, then we have dinner and sometimes we work a little bit after, but for the most part, we just kind of put our feet up, go for a walk. Uh, I also, in the good weather, will use those late afternoon pockets for exercise, go on a bike ride. Uh, that's my favorite form. We'll go for a walk or a snowshoe in the summer. I hate the gym, so I don't really do that. <laughs> and then uh, Friday's usually a free day. Saturday's an off day with nothing scheduled other than family or friends, then Sunday, Sunday. So that's sort of the ideal week for me. Awesome. What is your favorite personality test? And then what are the results from that test? You know, I've done so many, uh, but the Enneagram is, I know it's a flavor of the year, but it is <laughs> really good, really helpful. I've got on my desk, a 42 page report from Ian Cron and his people on my wow. Enneagram type ran my entire awesome. team through it. So it's my fave. What's your type? I'm an eight challenger with a seven wing. I am. I'm eight, seven as well. Oh, there don't you go. Betray, don't betray me, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> and watch out. We're going to fight for dominance on this show. Yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> what is an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Ah, oh, that's interesting. Unusual habit. Um, you know, multiple offices. Uh, so I work out of my house these days. I've never been good in a traditional office, but I, I have an office in my basement where I've got my podcast studio where I am right now. Um, but I've set up some strategic spots and some chairs through the house and I like to rotate over the course of the day. And it just helps it feel like new chapters. I cannot work in a, in a coffee shop. I don't work well in a traditional office environment, but having multiple settings right now, it's summer. So I've got the basement, uh, the back patio, uh, the back porch, the front porch, and the living room. So that's five different spots where wow. I work. What is your favorite app on your phone? Yeah, I'm not in love with my phone right now, but I would probably say <laughs> I'm not, man. I'm thinking of like ditching a lot of it, but Instagram for sure is still yeah. fun. And I, I do hang out on Insta story. That's like the one part that's still fun for me personally. And that's where I do. That's where I tell my personal life is on Insta story gave Instagram a lot of life. It, it was a good move for them. It was. Yeah. What has been the best book you've read in the past six months? Hmm. I'm really intrigued by Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. That one's been a really good one. I'm still finishing it. It's giant. It's like, it is forever. giant. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, what has been the best thing that you've grilled or smoked on your big green egg in the past six months? Ooh, I did. <laughs> this uh, one's ribs. just for you. No one else gets this. Ribs. Question. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ribs really turned out well. I, I was mm. really, really happy with the way the ribs turned out and ribs have been really hard for me to master. I also did some burnt ends. I'll put two answers. Ooh, in I saw the burnt, burnt ends. ends. That was oh. sickeningly good. That is, that's dangerous, man. Oh, so good. All right. Last quick hitter. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time? Work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competency. Boom. So good. That's it. it never gets old. It's such, no, such good no. truth. No, no, and that is like, you will do so well if you do that. Seriously. Well, Carrie, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and your time as a young leader. Uh, we're really grateful for that. And thank you for listening today. We hope that this has been helpful to you and your leadership. And if it has, go on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help other young leaders find the podcast. Thanks again. See ya.